This is the Italian American Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping Italian Americans learn about their heritage. We do that by speaking to Italian Americans in all different age ranges, professions, and locations. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and I have with me my co-host, Dolores Alfieri. And in this episode, we're going to talk to a couple of Italian American authors about their connection to their heritage and how they're helping to pass it along. Dolores, how are you doing today? Hello, Anthony, and hello, everyone out there. It's good to be back on the mic with you. I've been doing pretty well. I'm uh, here post-wedding, Yeah. so that's kind of a nice feeling. It was a great day. A we, great had, day. Uh, we had a blast here, too. We did. We had a lot of friends who everyone's heard on the show at the wedding, like John Viola and Pat and Anthony O'Boyle, Rosella Rago were there, and, of course, Vanessa Rachi from... Episode 59 performed at the wedding, and that was really special, right? She was yeah, great. she's amazing, Vanessa. She did a great job. It was a beautiful time. Yeah, I was. can't believe it's over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and as we post, I posted about in the new neighborhood, uh, the, the day was definitely filled with a lot of uh, Italian-American traditions, and one of those was that we walked from my mother's house to the church, which was something that my father always wanted me to do growing up because, of course, in southern Italy, that's what the bride side does. She walks to the church with all her friends and her family. So we were able to do that in our uh, new neighborhood. Friends got to see pictures of that. So it was really special. Yeah. And I just by chance of luck, because my wife and I are never usually early for anything because we have three kids running around. We, (laughs) We got there about a minute or so before the ceremony and we were walking in and we got to see Dolores walking down the street. So that was cool with a bunch of all the white umbrellas. It looked really nice. She did post a couple of pictures of it um, in our new neighborhood and uh, it's pretty cool. It's a pretty special picture that I'm sure Dolores will be able to, you know, look at that for a while and kind of remember that tradition. Yeah. Your mother was there too. When I walked up, I remember seeing her. Yeah. Yeah. My mom was there. (laughs) It was was nice. It was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. If you're not familiar with what we're talking about when we say the new neighborhood, This is a kind of a a little special private community. It's a private Facebook group that we run really for super fans of the podcast that were contacting us and saying, you know, we want to get to know you more and get to know some of the listeners. So we created this community and it's, it's really amazing. I mean, especially, especially around the holidays and you know, we had Easter and everyone's posting their family photos and the different recipes they're making and the different traditions that their family does. And it really helps you, I think, to keep this idea of family and your Italian American heritage at the forefront when you have so many different things going on. And I know Dolores and I have really gotten to know some of the members pretty close just from in the group, really. So it's been special. So if you want to check that out, you can go to italianneighborhood.com and check it out. It's very inexpensive and it provides, I think, a really, really easy way to keep in touch with your heritage and to start to meet others that are interested in their heritage. So With that, this episode is one that I think is something kind of always of interest to Dolores and I is talking to Italian-American authors. We have two authors in this episode that we're featuring, both very inspirational, Joseph Luzzi and Stephanie Longo. I'll introduce Joseph in a moment in a little more detail, but he has a book called My Two Italys that was tremendous that uh, so many people told me to read and finally got my hands on it. And I'm glad we were able to get him. And Stephanie is dynamite as well. She's from Northeastern Pennsylvania and she's written several books just on that region alone. And the pictures in the book, it's unbelievable. If you saw these books, 
you couldn't believe it's a, just a time capsule for everybody in that region that they could pass on to their families forever. And they're just amazing. So excited about this episode. And what we're going to do here to jump in as usual is I would like to introduce our first guest in a little more detail, just so you kind of get to know him before we get started here. And then Dolores will take us in <clears throat> with a quote. Joseph Lutzi is a writer and professor of comparative literature at Bard College, where he also teaches in the Italian studies and film programs. The first child in his Calabrian family born in the U.S., which is really interesting. His parents were born in Calabria, as were his older four siblings, and then they came here, and then he was born here. So you can imagine what that would be like when we get into that in the interview. But he's the author of a memoir, In a Dark Wood, What Dante Taught Me About Grief, Healing, and the Mysteries of Love, and then, of course, My Two Italys. He's also a frequent contributor of essays and reviews to publications, including the New York Times, Los Angeles Times, Book Forum, the London Times, Literary Supplement, and many others. His first book, Romantic Europe and the Ghost of Italy, received the Scaglione Prize for Italian Studies from the Modern Language Association, and his book, A Cinema of Poetry... Aesthetics of the Italian Art Film was a finalist for the Bridge Book Award from the American Initiative for Italian Culture Foundation. International competition in Italy and U.S. 2015. His work has been translated into or is forthcoming in Italian, German, Korean, and Portuguese, and he lectures throughout the world on art, film, and literature. So with that, I'm going to give it to Dolores so she can bring us into the interview with a quote. So this quote is pulled from... Joseph's book, My Two Italys. We Italian-Americans, on the other hand, commemorate our past only to remind ourselves how far we have traveled from it. All right, now I'd like to welcome Joseph Luzzi to the Italian-American podcast. Joseph is a writer and professor of comparative literature at Bard College, where he also teaches in the Italian studies and film programs. Joseph, welcome to the Italian-American podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Joseph, it's just really an honor to have you on the show. I was lucky enough to go to a gathering with a lot of authors and everyone kept referring me to your book, My Two Italys, since I had been hosting the podcast and we've done a lot of research on the Italian-American experience and immigration. And I read the book and I, and I thought it was just wonderful. So first off, I just want to thank you for just a wonderful piece of work. Well, thank you very much, Anthony. That means a lot. One of the joys of writing a book like this is that you get to connect with um, so many people that you hadn't met before or that was just to know that your work is out there and um, to make these kind of connections is what it's all about as a writer. Yeah, absolutely. So for our listeners, Joseph, I know I just gave you like a quick intro, but can you talk a little bit about what you do on a day-to-day basis just so the audience understands? Sure. Well, <laughs> that's a day-to-day basis. That's a broad question, but <laughs> I guess I would say that um, I'm a full-time professor, and that's my both my profession, but also my vocation. And I always say, even if I won the lottery tomorrow, I would still continue teaching because it's just a great joy for me. And also, it's really where my work as a writer came out from. I was teaching for many years at, um, I've been at Bard College since the early 2000s and teaching courses in literature and Italian studies 
an Italian film. I did the regular work as, you know, I, I'm also a scholar, so I produced, I've written a couple of books that draw on my research, uh, particularly in Italian studies. But I always wanted to reach out to a broader audience. I think part of it's because I grew up in a culture in which storytelling was so important. I think that would probably resonate with you as well. Even though my parents weren't terribly educated, we, they were storytellers when the families would have get-togethers. That's how people entertained one another. And when I wrote my academic books, I felt this is great, this is meaningful work, but I would like to communicate with a broader audience. So at a certain point in my career, I decided to write my first book for non-specialist, non-academic readers, My Two Italy's, which I think is the book you were referring to, which yes. is really a family history, but it's also, to me, a chance to talk about Italian-American culture from the perspective of someone who spent his career studying Italian culture, you know, the Dante and the Renaissance and the great developments that have happened in Italy. I wanted to kind of put that in dialogue with the cultural traditions of, of our people, immigrants who came from the South, often with nothing, and who built a life here for themselves and for their children with an incredible amount of sacrifice. So yeah. that's sort of the day-to-day -day now is really a balancing act between my teaching, my writing for general audiences, and my scholarship, which means a lot of work in libraries and going through footnotes and doing that kind of precise work that scholarship requires. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I want to definitely dive into the books and specifically talk about My Two Italy's. But before we do that, because obviously this is part of leading into My Two Italy's, is maybe you could tell the listeners about, you know, your family and where your parents came from. I mean, that's a big part of this. Absolutely. I mean, in a way, you know, my whole career as a writer has been exploring the mystery of my family and and everything it's meant and, and given me. My parents immigrated from Calabria in the 1950s. First, my mom came over because at the time, my mother and father had four small children in Calabria. And um, they lived outside of Cosenza, in, basically in the region, around the region of Acre. And what happened was my mom's dad had been an itinerant laborer in the early 1900s, and he had worked in the United States. He'd actually been a grave digger and on the East Coast, and he fought in World War I for the United States, which meant that he automatically got U.S. citizenship. So through my dad, my grandfather, Carmeni Crocco, my mom, Yolanda Luzzi, was able to become a U.S. citizen first. So she came here to kind of establish residence by herself. So she stayed here for six months in the 1950s, 1956. And my dad stayed behind in Calabria. And then after that period of residency had passed, he was able to come with my four older siblings to the U.S. And so they were all born in Italy. My dad was about 36, my mom in her late 20s my siblings all small. So they grew up really in a bicultural home. Sometimes I don't even think Italian American is the right word. It was more like Calabrian and American, right? right. Two separate universes. And by the time I was born, you know, in the, in the late sixties, about a decade later, 
my family had been in the U.S. for about 12 years. So I was 11 years. I was the first um, American child born, the first U.S. born child in my family. And then we, I had a younger sister. She was born a few years later. But yeah, and you had four siblings that were born in Calabria. Is that right? That's right. Yep. Okay. Yep. And something you know, pretty special happened. This I was in um, Italy in Florence last semester as a fellow at Villa Itati, which is um, Harvard University Center for Renaissance Studies. I was there from September to December. And while I was there, I was invited to Acre to receive La Cittadinanza Honoraria, honorary citizenship. Oh, and wow. that was very moving. That was in early December. And... It was just an extraordinary experience because I was there. They said very nice things about my work and I got a beautiful citation. But I just kept thinking of my family leaving, you know, and yeah. uh, what that took. And so I, I dedicated it to them and because really it was my parents' sacrifice that made everything possible. Yeah, absolutely. And. And for those of you out there that maybe haven't read the book, My Two Italys, I, I certainly can't really summarize the details or give you a good perspective on it in a couple of minutes. But just one thing I will tell you is, and I'll you know discuss it, of course, now with Joseph in detail, but essentially, you know, My Two Italys is, refers a lot to, I believe, your pull, Joseph, kind of between North and South, because you, you did studies in the North and your family, of course, was from the South, but... And that's a very interesting part of this book. But the other part of the book for me that was really powerful was all of the stuff about your father that really came out through the book. And, and Joseph's father was a very strong man, Calabrian man that wanted to kind of carry these traditions on. And it seems, Joseph, that like throughout the book, and I've got the book here with quite a few pages that I marked up in it a lot. There's just a lot of really moving journaling and perspectives and descriptions of your father. Is that something that you kind of anticipated going into this book or is it something that unfolded kind of as you were writing it? You know, I always tell my students that in a way, when we sit down to write something, the best pieces of writing don't know exactly where they're going to go because if they do, there's something formic, there's something predictable about the way the writing happens. In my case, in the case of my book, the book ended up becoming something I had completely not planned because when I started to write it, I had taken it on at, right after as Italy was going through a lot of turmoil in the last years of the Berlusconi uh, administration when, you know, after he resigned and Italy was in all sorts of economic and political turmoil, I thought I would write a book trying to connect Italy's present-day crisis to some of the bigger questions in Italian history that I had studied as a scholar, you know, like the North-South divide, right. the quest for a unifying language, things like that, things that are in the book. But I was really stalled when I started writing because I couldn't quite find the book's voice when I was writing this public historical stuff. It was accurate enough, but it just lacked flavor. It just wasn't working. And then one day, I remember sitting, I kind of was a little sleepy. I remember sitting in the, in the library at Bard and I was writing. And I just remembered coming home from school and the smell of, of my child, the smells of my childhood. I remembered when my mom would bake bread 
and I would come in after school. I remember when they would make tripe and how terrible that smelled, <laughs> you know? Um, and then the book just, I just stopped trying to write it and just started putting down these memories and it just sort of took off. And I think that circled me back to my dad because my dad died in 94. He was always a little bit, not, I don't think the word is remote, but mysterious in the sense that he, we knew he loved us deeply and yet he never didn't show it in traditional ways. And he could be a difficult, demanding presence, but you know, we worshiped him. And so as I started to write, it became a way to kind of reconnect with someone that, you know, I hadn't been able to speak to for decades and connect with. Even when he was alive, it was, it was difficult for me to communicate with him. Part of it was literal. We didn't really speak English well. Right. I spoke a little Calabrian at the time, my Italian, you know, I was learning standard Italian. That wasn't a language he was really comfortable with. So we didn't really have a common language, both in the literal sense, but even, you know, in the metaphoric sense. Right. And I'd say one of the core pieces of the book was something I had written a long time ago and kind of set aside. His, the way he used language, you know, that really stuck with me. And the way he would curse and, you know, say things like, um, Mala nova to and may a new harm befall you, or, right. <laughs> you know, to vo brujore but may the ground beneath you combust. Right. Um, unbelievably poetic kind of curses. And that was a haunting memory to me of just how, in a way, his brilliance, you know, he was someone who had no. I think it was like a third grade education, Hmm. but everything he did, he did just so, you know, his garden was perfect. His, his, uh, wine was the best. His vegetables were the biggest. And he just took this incredible pride in his work. And you could feel the hum of intelligence when you spoke with him, but it was not one I think in a way he was a frustrated figure. He he never got to do in the United States anything more than manual labor. He was a factory worker and he had his garden. That was his great joy. Right. And I realized when I finished the book, it's very hard for us to know who our parents are as people. I think that we think of them and their relation to us. They provide for us. They take care of us. Their actual selves, I think, can get lost in that. And my mom said something when I finished writing my to Italy. She said, you know, your dad had been much happier in Italy. He was pretty happy, carefree person. Mm. And it was like she was talking about someone I had never met. A complete stranger. Because that's not the person that I knew. And then I realized that my dad never got over leaving Italy. I think he he missed Italy desperately to the end of his days. He loved the landscape. He had a much, as hard as life was for him in Italy, it wasn't as hard as it was in the U.S. And that was a sort of, you know, that's the book was worth it just for that. Just to discover 
that my father had this other life that I was really unaware of, you know? Yeah. No, that's amazing. So along those lines, Joseph, there's a, a scene that I remember from the the book about your father that really stuck with me after I read the book, which was the dinner, you know, having dinner at night, a lot of the food would be from the garden and it was kind of, you know, resembling the food that of course they ate in Calabria. And I remember kind of, I remember the exact words, but I remember you saying something like, you know, he would sit at the table for multiple hours and everyone had to sit there with him and he had the wine and the vegetables. And it was like his, it was like his way of going back there in a sense. Yes, yes, I think that's true. I think with that expression, a la tavola, uh, at the Italian table, you, you never get old. A tavola non si invecchia mai. Right. That Italian expression. A tavola non si invecchia. No one gets old at the dinner table. That Italian expression. Italians take their time with food. Right. And my dad took that to the ultimate. Yeah. Um, I think it was one of those spaces, you know, in his immigrant's life where time stood still, where at work he had to go to this factory. He, and then, you know, he got up at three 30 every day. I think his work shift started at five. He was a transplant in so many ways. He never really mastered English, but come dinner time, he was the king, right? And he could sit down on his throne in our basement and just command the table and orchestrate the meal and just live as he would have in the old country had he stayed behind in the old country. So it was a strange time machine. The smell, the foods were exactly the same as the ones he'd be eating in Italy, right? The, the the pasta entree uh, to start the, the, the meat and tomato sauce, the, all the vegetables on the side and all, all, all the things that he grew from his own garden I think it was just a, it was a ritual for him. It was also incredibly social. He would drink the wine that he made and he'd have his brothers would come over and they would have these epic feedings together. It was one of those places, I think, where he wasn't displaced. He wasn't in exile. He wasn't an immigrant. He was just in his world, right? They recreated Calabria come dinner time every night. And I think that that's why it was such an important part of the day for him. Yeah. It's it's so amazing. And it's so interesting to try to even, I mean, you can't even imagine what people that do immigrate and leave their country and come to another country for their family to kind of make so-called better life. It's amazing to try to think of what they have to go through. And I feel like you really captured it because, and especially with that scene, because it's just showing it's kind of says like, just like you just said, it was his time where he was essentially back home, even though he wasn't everything around him, right. he recreated it or he, he knew it would be recreated at that time with your mom cooking and, you know, the vegetables and everything. So I thought that was really Well, I also powerful. think, you know, as, as Americans, we have a certain story of immigration and it's one I grew up with and it's, it's true. It, life, uh, this country was, has been an incredible place of opportunity for me, right? I mean, if you think about it, for people of, of our generations, who's Italian Americans of our generation, whose parents came and made these sacrifices to have had some of the educational opportunities that I've been able to have, that I hope my children have, these would have been unimaginable in Italy, right? And right. so that's 
true. You know, there is this payoff for, for a lot of people who do come and make those sacrifices. But I think sometimes what we forget is what immigrants leave behind, right? Right. You know, in that upward trajectory narrative, we forget that people who take that journey also give a lot up, even if their lives do improve materially. Right? There's, there's something about giving up your home and your life that's very powerful. Yeah, I think that's just it, exactly what you said. I think that, of course, you think to yourself on the periphery that they're having, a, you know, listen, they were living somewhere, they were poor, it was, it was rough, they came here, so everything must right. be better. But at the end of the day, it's not their home. Right. I mean, it's not where they were born. It's not where they're used to. Just like when you're a kid. I mean, that's what you know is your home. It doesn't matter how much, quote unquote, better somewhere else is. It's not home. The other thing I think we have to remember is these aren't my parents weren't people that, you know, now there's a lot of people who are lucky to have a lot of mobility, say, through dual citizenship and work in different places. When my parents left Italy, that was it. They weren't going back. They had to actually give up their Italian citizenship. So it wasn't as though they were going back and forth to Italy right. and staying connected. They went a couple times and only under, you know, when my grandmother died, things of that nature. It was very rare that they could take a trip and visit. That was just off the table for economic reasons. So it was really a kind of when you left, you were leaving pretty much for good with the rare, rare, in my parents' case, the very rare trip back to your homeland. It was pretty much a complete separation. Yeah. I want to take a minute, Joseph, to read a paragraph from the book that is kind of focused on this part. It, It goes like this. Whatever language my father gave up, he was ultimately a man of a few words. In the fall, when the leaves and shoots of the spring and summer had withered and died, he would collect them in his garden and set them on fire. These flames were the closest that my dad, a non-churchgoer, used to tell the priest, tell the priest, I'm the devil, he liked to joke to my pious brother-in-law, came to communion. He would look into the fire in silence, no longer aware of me or anyone else. I wondered what went through his mind as he stared at the yellow, orange, and red flames, the fire crackling with a language he could communicate to nobody. It was his sole fluency, the voice of nature, and he would take it with him when he left the world. There's always a limit to how much anyone can sacrifice, even for a man like my father, whose life had been spent sustaining a large family and helping an extended network of brothers, sisters, nieces, and nephews establish themselves in America. Here, before the fire, I had my rare glimpse into that off-limit space that was his and his alone, my father may have given me life, but he never let me inside the silence. You remember those times? Oh, gosh, I do. Yeah, I do. Because now it's around the time of the year, early spring when it's cold and you just be out there in his garden, getting everything ready, right. cleaning up the mess of winter. And I taught completely remember. I remember the passage. To me, it's one of the most when I wrote it in the book, but even just the memory of that is one of the most powerful for me. And you know, like I said, it's not like I didn't talk with him right. when this all happened. I just kind of watched him. It was one of those moments where I could sense 
he was thinking about things and things that I couldn't hear that he wouldn't wouldn't or couldn't share. But I, I kind of like all writers do, you kind of fill in the blanks with yeah. your imagination and, and take a guess. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the the reason that that paragraph, I think, is um, stuck out to me was because one of the things we talk about a lot on the podcast is, you know, our ancestors came here to to make these sacrifices of leaving their homeland to try to give us a better life and more opportunity and it always seems that at some point along the generational line, in order for these opportunities to be realized, you know, there tends to be some kind of sacrifice of the old traditions, right? And the old gatherings, like when I was a kid, we used to have Sunday dinner together at my grandma's. We don't really do that anymore because people are spread out and people are busy and people have different responsibilities going on. So that always seems to be a topic that comes up and, you know, I feel like kind of in parts of the book, you sense that your father, he's making these sacrifices and he's trying hard though, in some respects, like the long dinner at night to try to maintain some of these traditions, even though he's also trying to give you other and new opportunities. Well, I think that's really well put because in a way, one of the reasons I wrote the book was if I didn't now, it would be too late. If I didn't write the book, it's not like I had any special gift or anything to do it. It's just, I was in that in-between generation. I heard those words, the, the Calabrian words. I saw those Calabrian rituals. I witnessed it all. My children, they won't have witnessed it, right? They will just be, it will be gone. When, when certain people die, as right. I wrote in the book, memories die with them because words die with them and practices and ways of life die with them. I think what's, Sad, if I can say that, is that, you know, we have a tendency to, uh, as a culture, to forget things and really important things. Like, you're right, we're all too busy. I'm just as guilty of it as anybody else. But what what are we too busy? You know, <laughs> we're so busy that we're missing out on some really important things like these great traditions, these yeah. things that used to keep keep the family together. And what are we replacing it with? I think we need to ask ourselves. For example, my dad and my whole family, they used to, the extended families to get together a lot. So you'd have these big feasts with cousins and aunts and uncles. And, and it's true. We just don't do it as much now. We are much more spread out. It's hard to describe those to younger generations who haven't experienced it right. because it's something that's so far from their world, right? And to me, when I get back to that word, what I think is sad is let's not lose the things that were so special and central to our culture. The language, right? Yeah. We should hold on to the language, right? Because you can't, there's certain things you just can't translate. Certain memories are bound up with certain words, I think. So I think if we work hard to hold on, whether it's the making of the supersata or the memory of certain words and languages, the preservation of stories, I think that's our obligation to our ancestors is to keep those memories alive. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, listen, you're definitely preaching to the choir. I mean, I spent many, many days at my grand 
mother's table with my laptop, just asking her to talk about all the traditions and all of the, where her parents came from in Italy. And can you tell me everything you can remember about your parents? And, and I used the information to then find, believe it or not, living relatives in Italy. And I went and visited them for a summer and I brought my family and my kids. I just think it's important. In fact, my daughter, who's in sixth grade was just telling me that, you know, she, her options in school for language were French and Spanish. And I was upset that there wasn't mm-hmm. an Italian for her, <laughs> for her to take, because I do think that these things are important. And we just started doing it in my family again is having dinner together on Sundays because you oh, know, if you don't take the time to do it, that's the thing. Like, no, you're not going right. to do it. And the thing about these traditions is that, you know, they don't just happen on their own, which also, for me, really made it clear of how much work it was. You know, I went to my grandmother's every Sunday and ate with 40 people, and I just thought of it as a fun time to go and hang out with my cousins. But now that I'm, some days I'm cooking it on my own, I'm thinking to myself, this was a lot of work. (laughs) That's true. But, you know, I think the other side of it is that when you think, I mean, most of our family who came here were were really – economically it was very challenging. Most of them had very basic jobs that was just getting inserted into the workforce. But my sense looking back is that they may not have had the most money, but they did have a lot of fun. Those were were great times, all the get togethers, all the family celebrations. That's something that they worked hard, but they also, there was a big festival component, I think, to life. And I think that, you know, busyness, our busyness sometimes makes us forget that. And that's something I try and keep in mind with my own family, because, um, at the end of the day, that's what you remember. You know, if you think about it, the memories that you got from your grandmother that I got, I had a series of conversations with my mom several years ago that really became the heart of a lot of my two Italy's. I recorded them and just, that's what matters in a way. Uh, and as time passes and everything gets, um, there's these moments that people keep coming back to is the kind of touch tones. And I think that that's what amazed me about my family was how many of those great moments they were able to create, even as they were struggling, right, yeah. to, to feed this large family, to kind of get established in the U.S., in a foreign country. It was still an amazing sense of, fun and celebration. And that's something that I, I don't want to lose with my own family going forward. Yeah. And you did a wonderful job of really portraying your, I mean, I feel like I know your mom and dad from reading the book because you know, you, you put so much, you put so much detail into the conversations and the descriptions, especially a lot of the stuff with your dad. It was really like, you know, you almost felt like, and and because there's a picture of him on the cover you really feel like you're seeing him and you're, you're hearing from him a lot of the book, which is great. But let's talk just for a minute about the actual to Italy's theme, because you did study in Northern Italy, I believe in Florence, if I remember correctly, and you would visit Calabria often. And you kind of had this, there was like a, a pull or this like contrast between the two or inner struggle, or how would you describe it? Well, I did spend a lot of time in Florence, even I think sometimes cities are like people in life. You end up just having relationships with them that are 
beyond your control. I ended up again in Florence last semester where I had a, a, this wonderful fellowship, but I did go down, as I mentioned, to Opry for that citizenship ceremony, right. honorary citizenship. To me, I don't want to establish any stark dichotomies that Northern Italy is this and Southern Italy is that. And there's these great contrasts between the two. It's much more complicated than that. Right. But there has been historically a kind of fundamental differences between as a whole life in the North and as a whole life in the South. One of them is that most immigrants have come from the South. Yeah. That's because after many reasons, after unification from the late 1800s, early 1900s, conditions in the South were pretty harsh for most people. Most of them were poor farmers, and a lot of them saw a better life elsewhere, especially North and South America, Australia, and yep. whatnot. The North, there's been incredible culture in the South. The North traditionally was thought of as more the center of the European Renaissance, right? Florence, Venice, Rome, Milan. These are kind of cities that had more wealth, more political power for a longer time than a lot of southern cities with the exception of Naples, which has always been an incredible cultural metropolis and force. So ever since I was an undergraduate, I had been going to Florence. I studied there, again, going there in graduate school for long periods of time. I ended up teaching there after I got my PhD. I ended up pretty much going almost every year for like something like 25 years on and off for good amounts of time. So I got to know Florence extremely well. But my heart, you could say, was always in Southern Italy because that's where my family was from. That was my family's culture. That was what introduced me to the idea of Italy in the first place. So I started to feel a kind of tension between, on the one hand, the Italy of my studies, the Italy of my professional life, and then the Italy of my childhood. And I wanted to explore that in, in writing this book and also to kind of connect them. I think that's what really what I was trying to do. I wanted to show that we have this idea of Italy as this place of incredible culture, Dante, Michelangelo, and, and Verdi. And then there's Italian-American culture, you know, where the immigrants and, and spaghetti and meatballs and, you know, all the kind of cultural stereotypes, more folkloric, less connected to the high Italian culture. But in truth, what I tried to show in my book is that it's one Italy and that the quest for a unifying language, for example, Dante wrote about that in the 1300s. Right. Alessandro Manzoni, the great novelist who wrote The Betrothed in the 1800s, wrote his book in Tuscan as a, an honor of Dante to show that Italy should have this one language based on Tuscan. My father, who didn't speak standard Italian, he had his own version of that language crisis, just like Dante. Right. So what my parents experienced as immigrants goes all the way back to early, the earliest roots of Italian culture figures like Dante. Why did so many Southerners immigrate? A lot because of after the unification, conditions got worse in the South. That means the history of Italy is intimately bound up with what happened to Italian Americans here. You see all these connections. They're not separate. I felt there was these kind of these narratives of Italy as this kind of, you know, the famous movie, the Tusk under the Tuscan sun. And then there was this other version of Italy where 
the idea of the South as poor source of immigrants who were poor and whatnot. I just wanted to show that it wasn't that simple, that Northern Italy and Southern Italy have had historical tensions, but that they are intimately connected and bound up and that each side has an incredible cultural story, not just one or the other. Mm. Yeah, that's great. And it is something I think that a lot of Italian Americans think about, you know, the idea of the North where there's a lot of the traditional, if you're, if you're going to Italy as a tourist, a lot of the towns you would go to that you mentioned, but if you want to see where you came from as an Italian American, at least 85% of them would not be going to those cities. They would be going to Southern Italy. And so I think that in general, that's kind of the idea between the two different components of it. But I think in your case, it was interesting that you spent time in both. And I think really, I think really the book as a whole, as an Italian American, just thinking about when I read the book, it's kind of a view of immigration from the perspective of a child of the immigrants that came and in your case, really interesting because most of your siblings were born there and you weren't. So that even added another angle to it, which I think you captured well earlier. And, and you talked about how you and your father didn't even really have a language that was common, which, you know, adds that whole right, other, right. other angle to it. So, so it was really, I really enjoyed it, Joseph. And I hope that our listeners out there will check it out because it really gives you a lot of perspective on what our ancestors went through, obviously in this case, specifically from, from Joseph's eyes and his family. But I think talking with a lot of people, there are similarities, of course, across the different families, even if they came from different parts of Southern Italy. But Joseph, before we let you go, and I, and I want to let you go soon, I know you've given us some good time here. You wrote another book as well, and we don't have time to go into it in a lot of detail, but it's called In a Dark Wood, What Dante Taught Me About Grief, Healing, and Mysteries of Love. Now that book came after My Two Italies, or what was the time? Came after, yes. Okay. Came after, yep. Uh, my Two Italies was published in 2014, and In a Dark Wood was published in 2015, right? Yeah. And that was a um, memoir I, style, I is that right? That was a memoir. I see them as related. In some ways, they're very different. Um, they're both personal. They're both based on the way that things had happened in my life connected to bigger issues. In the case of my two Italy's, the history of my family's immigration and these big ideas like the North-South divide, Italian-American culture and versus um, and some of the myths of that. In a Dark Wood was more my late wife, Catherine Mester, had a... A tragic accident in 2008. She died in a car accident. And before she died, she was eight and a half months pregnant at the time. She gave birth to our daughter, Isabel. So yeah. in this, in the blink of an eye, I found out that, you know, I got received word that my wife had had this fatal car accident and that our daughter was born as a result. So it set me into, a, as you can imagine, a period of intense grief, combined with the challenge of being a father to uh, an infant who miraculously made it through. And my, it was my first child. So I wrote about how, with the help of my family, and it's very much about, I'd say in a way, if, if my two Italy's features my dad a little bit, I would say in a dark wood, my mom, Yolanda, becomes a kind of very, very important figure because she basically jumped in as an 80-year-old and did all the heavy lifting to help me raise Isabel. And not just my Italian-American family, but Italian culture. I talk about how 
Dante, the great author who I taught and had written about basically my whole career, became a major guy for me as I dealt with the grief in the morning and how the wisdom of his poem helped me rebuild my life, the divine comedy. Mm, So sort of, obviously there's a tragic component to it, but I see the book really is uh, really a book about hope and what it can be like to have good support and live with this great piece of literature that, that provides guidance and, in extremely challenging times. Yeah, sure. And I rem- I do remember that you you talked a little bit about you know your wife's accident in My Two Italy's, right? Because it happened before My Two Italy's. Because I think you in My Two Italy's you talked about how you moved back in with your your family. Yeah, that, right. Yeah. I, I, me- I mentioned I just mentioned it really in passing and said that now's not the time. Right. This is not the place to get into implications of this incredible tragedy and all the challenges. But I think in a way, in a dark wood in my two Italy's are like bookends. To me, I see them as very intimately connected. And um, both books have, I think the amazing thing when you write a book like either one of these is the people that will reach out to you. In the case of my two Italy's, it was so many Italian Americans and Italians from all over the world who've had Italy at the center of their life. And that it res- the book resonated with them because of it brought to life their own memories and then they would share them in, in their emails or letters to me. And the same thing within a dark wood, it was people who'd experienced loss or experienced some sort of tragic event. And, gotten support and help from outside and how in certain very moving cases, how the book, my book itself could be, have been a kind of source of solace for them as they were dealing with some personal challenge, tragedy or trial. So. Mm, Wow. These are uh, very uh, emotional experiences. Both of these books I can see, I mean, you, you put, it was just a lot of emotional investment for you, obviously, in these books. I mean, I can I didn't read into a dark wood in a dark wood, but I read obviously my two Italy's, and you did them. Like I said before, you did an amazing job in really just opening up. And I mean, I felt like I was there. I really did, which is why probably why I reached out to you because I still keep your book kind of on my nightstand and try to go through it once in a while because it's it's just very powerful. So you did a, a wonderful job. In your work. Well, that means a lot. Thank you so much. And really, that's your great hope when you're writing a book is that it will reach people. And I think what's been so moving and about let's stay with just in my two Italy's is just that it's for a long time. It was you grew up in a culture and you you had memories of it. And then as you as you become an adult, sometimes you want to hold on to that somehow those memories, but to be able to do so in a way that keeps it alive, these cultural memories alive for other people in their own context, in their own relation to Italy and Italian cultures, it makes all the difference. Yeah. Well, Joseph Luzzi, thank you so much for spending some time with us here today. I'm talking about your books and your experiences. Really appreciate it. 
again, please, you can go to Joseph's website at Joseph Luzzi, that's Joseph, L-U-Z-Z-I.com, and you can see his books listed there. Um, they're available on Amazon. But I think as an Italian-American, you will really find them very just interesting and give you that perspective that you can only get from someone who really takes the time like Joseph has to kind of really pour years into putting it on paper and recreating it. So once again, Joseph, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show and spending some time with us and for all the work that you've done really, as I see it for the, for the community. Thank you so much. It's, I really enjoyed it and I appreciate all, all these great questions. Thank you. Now time for the Italian-American stories segment of the episode. This is the part of the show. Where we try to bring you back to your family gatherings or conversations. And we try to either play a recording or a story from one of our listeners or our own relatives or even read something that a listener submitted. In today's segment, I'm going to be talking to an Italian-American historian, Stephanie Longo, who has dedicated her life to celebrating and focusing on her family's heritage. Stephanie was born in Scranton, Pennsylvania. She holds dual Italian citizenship and descends from the town of Guardia Lombardi, Avellino province of Italy. She specializes in immigration and her books really aim to give people a glimpse of the Italian life in northeastern Pennsylvania, past and present. And I got to say, I mean, obviously I've done a lot of research on this myself with my whole trip to Italy and everything else, but her books, I mean... It's all beautiful photos, and she literally interviewed everybody in these regions about their families and their history. And I, I mean, I'm not even from there, and I was reading through it, and it was really interesting. So I'm, I'm excited to talk to Stephanie. She's definitely got a lot of energy. And here's the interview. All right, now it's my pleasure to welcome Stephanie Longo onto the Italian American podcast. Stephanie is an Italian American historian. She's an author. She's just, her books are amazing. So I want to get her in right now and start talking to her. Stephanie, welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. So, Stephanie, tell our audience a little bit about what you do because it's exciting to me, but it's hard for me to explain because it's just so basically. You live and breathe Italian-American. Yes, I do. It's been my passion since I was younger. I always tell people how I got involved with my heritage is from when I was five years old. My mother took me to a local Italian restaurant and she took the placemat home and the placemat had the map of Italy on it. And what she did was, I could still see it, she had me sitting at the dining room table at our house and I was five years old. She was taking my hand and tracing the boot of Italy with my hand, saying, my daddy grew up here. My daddy's from here. And as I grew up, I started asking more questions and come to realize that my grandfather never made it home to Italy. It was his dream to go back home to Guardia dei Lombardi, which is where he was born. He never made it. And that just stuck with me my entire life. And I thought, how can I honor such an amazing story? I never knew my grandfather. He died in 1973. I was born in 1981. So I only know him through my mother's stories. And through that, he came to life and other family members who came from Italy who have passed on before I was born. And of course, since I 
been alive, all of these stories just entered into my heart and my soul. And I knew I needed to do something to recognize not just my family, but all of those who came over to the United States to just make such an incredible life and really preserve the traditions. We're very proud of our traditions and our family. And I know there are other people out there such as yourself and many, many other people who are just as proud. Yeah, absolutely. And so one of the things that Stephanie proceeded to do was author three books. She's authored three books and they are awesome. I have all three books, Italians of Northeastern Pennsylvania, Italians of Lackawanna County and Dunmore. And the Lackawanna County one is the most recent, I believe. Is that right, Stephanie? Yes, it came out on March 12th. So very exciting times. Yeah, very exciting. And what was interesting to me is when I got the first book on Northeastern Pennsylvania, when I looked at the book, of course, I immediately thought, you know, this is a really, this book is a really focused book. I mean, it's focusing in on Northeastern Pennsylvania. And then when I saw your new book, I was like, this is getting even more focused. And I mean, the books are beautiful. The pictures, Thank you. Uh, I mean, the pictures are amazing. I mean, you've really captured so much culture in these books that are going to be able to be passed down to future generations. So why don't you talk about that? What led you to the books or maybe there was something you did else first? Just talk about your path down your heritage. Sure. So my path to my heritage was a very windy one. <laughs> I graduated from the University of Scranton here in Pennsylvania in 2003 with a bachelor's degree in Italian and French. I came to the University of Scranton as a French major speaking no Italian, ended up taking Italian to get my French major, and I loved it so much I declared a double major. And I decided I wanted to get my PhD in Italian, except fate had other plans for me. The program that I was in ended up getting canceled and academia really wasn't for me with my personality and the way that I saw my life progressing. It just was not the thing for me. So I ended up at a conference of the American Italian Historical Association, and I met Dominic Candeloro. And we just got into talking. He said to me, he's like, have you ever thought about writing? And writing is something that I've done ever since I was a child. But I knew it was just one of those inside the house passions for me. I enjoy doing it, but I never thought I would be published because it's hard. And he said to me, he's like, no, he said, I think that you should write a book about the Italians in Northeastern Pennsylvania. And he took me <laughs> under his wing. He connected me with Arcadia Publishing. I can't thank him enough for believing in me because at the time I was in my early 20s, having never really done anything. And he helped create that trajectory for my life. Wow. And it's just snowballed from there. I ended up going back to the University of Scranton. I got my first master's in history, focusing on Italian-American. My second master's is in journalism. And I've just kept up with it all of these years. It's the number one passion in my life. I love my day job. I'm the marketing director for the Greater Scranton Chamber of Commerce here in Pennsylvania. And I do enjoy it. But my nighttime activities when I'm doing my Italian-American stuff, that's when I really, really come alive. Yeah, I bet. I mean, it's obvious just from looking at your work, your books, and it's really amazing. So tell me how the community has responded to what you're doing. Oh, my goodness. I feel like I have all of these new family members from this. There's one town in particular, and that's Jessup. It's about maybe... 
10, 15 minutes away from where I live. I live in Dunmore. The people there, they're originally descended from the town of Gubbio in Umbria. And they do the St. Ubaldo Festival, La Corsa dei Ceri up there. And um, they have just taken this book on. They've adopted me as one of their own. And they've just been so supportive. And I've felt the same support from other people from all the other Italian towns in Lackawanna County. It's kind of hard because... I know my family's traditions. I know my overall ethnic traditions as a Guardiese, but now I'm learning about the people from Jessup and their traditions from Gubbio. I'm learning about the people from Old Forge and their traditions from Felito. So all of these things have been a part of my life since I was a child because when you live in Lackawanna County, everybody's close-knit. It's a hop, skip, and a jump away to each town. But now they've really become a part of the fiber of my being. So I have my Guardiese and I also have my Northeastern Pennsylvanian Italian heritage. It's it's a Amazing. The community has been nothing but supportive, and I love everybody for that support. Yeah, absolutely. And just to kind of give everyone a little idea of what the book covers, Italians of Lackawanna County, it's really like a history of the county, of the Italian-American the whole history of Italian Americans in the county, but there's just photos on every page with amazing captions so you can really see it. I mean, we all know that being Italian is three dimensional. You can't just read, you can't just see, you can't, you got to taste, you got to do everything. <laughs> yeah. So you have in these books, just amazing photos of the processions of the feasts of people just gathering the churches. So really it's an amazing job. If anyone out there is thinking about doing something like this for your state or county or region, you definitely need to get Stephanie's books because these are perfect examples of how you can capture the history and the traditions. And I know that we've had Adriana Trigiani on a few times who I know spent time in Rosetto, which is, I believe that's Northeastern. Would you say that's Northeastern Pennsylvania? Okay. Yes. That's Northampton County in the Poconos area. Okay. And she's been great. I'm sure you've connected. She's in the book. I believe I saw a photo of her, correct? (laughs) Yes. Yes. She's been absolutely wonderful. She's also been a friend and a mentor to me in all things Italian-American. It's amazing because our community as Italian-Americans, we might be spread out nationally, but we all embrace each other. It's really a beautiful thing to be a part of. So talk to our listeners that are interested in maybe doing something like this or learning more about their heritage. What is it that has been, you obviously enjoy this so much. What is it about digging into your heritage that you find to be so enjoyable? I think that it goes back to the story of my grandfather. Like I said, I never knew him, but he lives on through this research in so many ways. My grandmother died when my mother was 10, so she's living on. I was very close to my Aunt Jenny. She passed away in 2008, and she was really the person in the family that kept the traditions alive. She was my grandfather's sister, and she also came over from Guardia, and she's alive now thanks to this research. So whenever I'm doing things like this, it's getting the chance to spend time with family members that are no longer with me, but who still live on in my heart. It's a chance to really embrace the sacrifices that my great-grandparents, to whom this book is actually dedicated, they made incredible sacrifices to come to the United States. How could I not be thankful that they had the foresight to do this. And they were so proud of being Italian that they kept that up, that my mother, who was the first American-born generation in her family, was able to keep that up and teach these traditions to me. I'm so thankful to be Italian-American that 
I need to do what I can to preserve it because if my generation doesn't do something in terms of preservation, that could be lost. And that's not happening on my watch. So yeah, no, it's, yeah. it's absolutely not. And again, just looking through your book, I can a hundred percent confirm that. And, you know, it must feel good after you spent the effort on writing these books to have that response from the community. And really it's just such a gift for anyone that lives in these communities to be able to just get this book and give it to their families because now they have this treasure that they can pass on. So I really commend you for doing that. Let me ask you this question. When, you know, you said how proud you are of being Italian American, the words Italian American or just being Italian American, what are some of the words that come to mind for you or the things that you think about when someone says, you know, if someone were to say to you, I'm not Italian American, could you describe to me what it's like? I would say first and foremost, it's family. It's a deep seated sense of belonging to something that's greater than you. I think that we as Italian Americans are a very passionate and proud people. And when you get in a room with fellow Italian Americans, it doesn't matter where you're from in Italy originally. You're among family, you're among friends, and we embrace everyone. The Italian American community, I believe that the best way to describe it would be just this place where there's just pure love, love at its purest, joy at its purest. And we keep promoting that. That's how we approach our lives. I think that there's a way that we approach our lives as Italian Americans that people of other ethnicities may not necessarily have. We're a very joyful people. We're a very passionate and proud people. And I think that permeates through every aspect of our lives. I know that that was the way it was for my grandfather. I know my mother brought me up with the same approach to life. And hopefully one day when I have children, I could give them the same approach to life. I think Italian Americans just have a different way of looking at the world. And that's what makes us unique as an ethnicity. I'm very proud to be a part of that. Well, that's great. And I think Italian Americans should be very proud to have you as a part of the heritage for everything you're doing. And so, you you know, thanks again for just what you're doing. I hope that everyone out there is going to go to Stephanie's website, Stephanie Longo, L-O-N-G-O dot net. Check out her books. If you want to see how to preserve heritage, these books really do it. And um, Stephanie, you have a lot of energy for what you do. It's obvious in your voice and it's obvious in your work. I mean, nobody could be writing books like this and having a day job and doing all the things that you you do, because I know how much work goes into writing a book. And these books are extensive in terms of history and the cataloging and the categories and probably what you, and I guess the research and just talking to people and everything that you've done. So thanks for doing it. I hope that, you know, we'll get to meet someday, I'm sure. Um, I would love that. Somewhere along the way. We really have to come at some point and do an episode out there. Dolores and I have talked about coming to Rosetto because, you know, it's been talked about so much and it was in the uh, PBS series and we're going to get out there one day and do an episode. And if we do, I know the right person to call to come and meet with us and (laughs) give us the lowdown on on everything going on out there. So it would be my pleasure and honor to help you guys out in any way possible. I would love to give you a wonderful tour of Northeastern Pennsylvania and some of our amazing Italian enclave. So that'd be amazing. Put that on your calendar. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Stephanie, thank you for spending some time with us. Is there any last things that you'd like to say to the audience? I just want to say to them that no matter what's going on 
in your life, just remember that you have the strength and force of your ancestors behind you in whatever you do. If my story can inspire anybody, that's my grandfather walking every step of the way with me from the time that I was born. And I know he'll be at my side until the time I die. And his influence is strongly felt in my life. So just remember your ancestors are with you. You may not see them, but they're with you and they're proud of you. Well, that's great. It's just a beautiful way to end it. Once again, Stephanie Longo. It's stephanielongo.net. Check out what she's doing. It's great. And Stephanie, just just keep it going. Keep the energy going. We're all definitely watching you and, and we love what you're doing. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. So I hope you enjoyed the episode today. Um, as much as we did, I mean, talking to authors like Joseph and Stephanie that are really focused on carrying our Italian-American traditions on is something that, you know, Dolores and I are super passionate about, and I'm sure you are as well. That's why you're listeners of this podcast. So with that, I'm going to kick it over to Dolores, and she's going to take us out. Just to remind everybody, you can connect with us via email by visiting ItalianAmericanExperience.com and clicking on the Join Us tab. It's a great way to just stay in the loop about events and other things that we are up to. We mentioned the new neighborhood in the beginning. That's ItalianNeighborhood.com. And if you like the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes. It really helps us to get the word out and to draw more Italian-Americans into listening and being part of our community. Lastly, you can find us on social media. We are on Instagram at Italian-American, on Twitter at Ital-American, and we're on Facebook at Italian-American Podcast. Ciao, amici! Ciao, amici!